Your neighborhood do-it-best store is your best source for friendly service, expert advice, and innovative products. Whether you're looking for a power drill, lumber, or even bird seed, you'll find it at Do It Best, a powerhouse in the home improvement industry with deep Indiana roots and a huge global impact. Meet the man in charge of Indiana's largest private employer, Do It Best CEO Dan Starr, on this edition of the Business and Beyond podcast. Hello and welcome to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. I'm Gary Dick. Dan Starr has a passion for building things, a love of practicing law, and a brain for business. Key factors as to why Starr has been able to grow Fort Wayne-based Do It Best into a giant in the home improvement sector. $5 billion in sales, thousands of locations in the U.S., and a presence in more than 50 countries. Do It Best has grown into a powerhouse and become a part of Fort Wayne's fabric. And I'm really pleased to be joined on the podcast this week by the CEO of Do It Best, Dan Starr. Dan, uh, thanks for joining me. How are you? I'm doing great, Jerry. It's great to be on your podcast. Thank you for inviting me. You bet. Now, before we get started, or as we get started, I guess I should say, uh, you've got a new home. You're in your new home in Fort Wayne, right? We are in our new home, and I'm kind of broadcasting live from the mezzanine uh, on the first floor of our building at Electric Works in Fort Wayne. So you can kind of tell behind me, it, it does have a, an industrial look. That's not a set, and that's not a picture. That is a real steel beam behind me that's yeah. part of the building. That's that's very cool, and I know for our, our viewers on TV, we'll get to see that. It's reflective, uh, certainly representative of that development. And I brought it up because, obviously, a new corporate headquarters is a big deal anytime, but Maybe this has added significance because of where it is, uh, where the you're making a huge investment there in Electric Works, which is uh, an amazing mixed-use uh, project, an old General Electric uh, campus that at one time, I know, I think may have employed more than 20,000 people uh, in Fort Wayne and was uh, abandoned uh, over time and was just sitting, uh, rusting literally with weeds been transformed into an amazing development. Talk about your decision, Dan, do it at do it best. When you went to locate or relocate, put a new headquarters building, you could have gone other places too, certainly outside of Northeast Indiana. Why Fort Wayne? And in particular, why this development? Yeah, great question. I'll try to do justice to it. So um, just to set the stage for it, you're, you're right. We Not only do we have an opportunity to go elsewhere, and companies are courted, as you know, uh, to relocate headquarters all the time. Uh, so not only is that dynamic in place, but we are governed by a board of directors, 12 uh, directors who are member owners. We are a cooperative. They are member owners of Do It Best. And none of them are from the state of Indiana. And so when you have a board and you're ultimately responsible to them and they want to see that you're making effective business decisions and they respect Indiana and our history, but they're not tied to it personally the way that we are. There is an accountability set there that you have to be able to answer. So all of that is kind of a backdrop as we began to look. And really, it, it was just an appro it, appropriateness of our location. Uh, where we were located before was in our very first warehouse building, which was wow. constructed in 1947 and added on to about six times ceased being a distribution center in the early 1980s 
and then slowly was built out as office building over that time. Really reliable building, but not appropriate for the kind of work that we do today. It's just it served us well for the time that it served us, but it's not really in a, a, a headquarters uh, that would serve us well going forward. So we began that look. Uh, and we did, we did look around a little bit, but we were founded in Northeast Indiana. We were actually founded downtown Fort Wayne, Indiana, and really consider it our home and wanted to put forth the best case we possibly could for remaining there. But we had to have a compelling case. And so what we brought to our board was not just you know, the ability to make it work financially, but then also the, the proposal was centered around the uh, importance of place, the fact that we needed to use this uh, as an element of our ability to attract and retain talent. That war for talent is just as critical uh, today as it ever has been. Uh, and I, I know that you probably hear that from lots of different folks, but it's yeah. very, very difficult to recruit in uh, especially specialized positions. IT is one where it's difficult. There are other areas as well. And we just felt like we weren't doing ourselves any favors where we were before. So there were a lot of different reasons leading yeah. up to it, but ultimately I think it had to do with attraction and retention of talent. Yeah, how much did it play, uh, play in what's going on in Fort Wayne and Northeast Indiana? Because to me, it's really one of the great success stories in Indiana as you look at what, what is happening uh, in particular in downtown Fort Wayne with all of the development, people living, working, playing in downtown Fort Wayne. Actually, I uh, many years ago, <laughs> the early 80s, start, my first job out of college was at uh, uh, Channel 33 there in Fort oh, Wayne yeah. and went to Channel 21. So we were there for a couple of years. Unfortunately, I was there when Harvester left. Uh, that bit massive facility, really, really tough blow for the city, but it has recovered and then some. How important in your decision to stay in Northeast Indiana was the momentum that obviously is clearly happening in that part of the state? That made it, that certainly made it easier for us to make the case that this was a vibrant community that could support us. We have a diverse set of needs for talent. And so you, you just can't locate in a city where workforce development, all those issues and concerns are not being adequately addressed. So the good news is that you know, Northeast Indiana in general, Fort Wayne in particular, has done a phenomenal job of creating population additions. It's not that easy in the Midwest. Right. And there's yeah. lots of different communities that are not doing that. But uh, this, this city, this community has done that, and it made it much easier for us to, to say, hey, we, we think that this ought to be our home for the next generation or forever, if we yeah. can make it that way. Do it best remaining in Indiana, a big win, not only for Northeast Indiana, but the state of Indiana. You are a substantial uh, organization. Uh, Indiana's continue to be Indiana's largest privately held uh, company, nearly $5 billion in revenue, three consecutive years of, of record numbers. First of all, Dan, for those who may not know, give us the do it best story, because I think it's very interesting. I think a lot of people... They see do it best. They see the stores, but maybe don't know, you know, the, the platform and, and the business organization. Yeah. It, it, and since it is a business to business organization, it, it can get lost in the mix or, or, or not really have an appreciable understanding within the public. Uh, I'll, I'll frame it this way. It's, it's easier to understand from, you know, our competitor set who we are. We look a lot like a franchise. We're not. We're a cooperative. So think about uh, Ace Hardware. Ace Hardware is a cooperative that serves 
uh, thousands of independently owned and operated hardware stores and home centers across the U.S. Think of True Value. They used to be a cooperative, uh, and they serve independent hardware stores, home centers across the U.S. We do the exact same thing in a cooperative environment. Uh, it's just that the, diff the big difference between us and them uh, is that uh, they really go to market with a retail brand that they really want to see permeate the entirety of it. That's why theirs looks even more like a franchise than us. You can go into a Do It Best store and not know that it is a member of Do It Best. Yeah, they, fact, they, don't have, they don't have to have the, the Do It Best brand, right? No. We really think that, especially because they're independently owned and operated, that the brand that's most important is their brand. Uh, so we certainly love to see our brand prominently located within member stores, but the more critical thing is that they have an effective brand. And sometimes, you know, locally owned and operated is a very powerful message uh, to provide, and we really want to encourage that. So often is the case that somebody could walk into perhaps the largest uh, home center in the entire country that's independently owned and operated in Hartville, Ohio. It's, you could fit a Home Depot and a football field under their roof. Oh, wow under one roof for them. And uh, they would do a best member. You wouldn't know it because they use their own brand and we encourage that. Yeah. But, but we're much larger than True Value. We're a little bit smaller than Ace Hardware. To, to give your audience some yeah. understanding of size, uh, we're probably about, I'm going to say four times the size of True Value. Wow. We're probably about two thirds the size of Ace. Mm -hmm. So very substantial uh, indeed. I know not only investing in uh, a, a new headquarters, you're, you're, you're really investing in technology, uh, the e-commerce space. Talk about that. And as the business continues to, all business continues to evolve with technology being at the forefront, what does that look like for Do It Best? You know, Gary, there's, a, there's an important element of that that is, of course, just sort of the, the function of you, you got to keep the lights on and you have to keep things current. You have to replace systems. Um, and that's just keeping up. I, I guess I would also share with you I think both consumer expectations as well as, frankly, business expectations have been changed dramatically. And I'll just blame Amazon. It's easy. Uh, <laughs> right, right. You know, people come yeah. to a consumer set of expectations that have largely been informed by how, how the consuming public has changed over the last five years in particular, I would say. That they expect certain things when you have a search engine. They, they expect certain things when it comes to the number of clicks to load something into a cart and to effectively get out of your e-commerce engine. All those things, I think, have been formalized by, uh, a, <laughs> by somebody like Amazon. And you really have to uh, try your best uh, to keep up with that. Not necessarily compete with them, but keep up with consumer expectations. And then there's a business component to that as well. Yeah. Uh, we really need systems that are more near real time, that are very reliable, that are cloud-based and redundant, that are, you know, there's just a, a series of things to make the business better. And a lot of times that just finds its point of relevance within technology or tech systems. I, I, I tend to think that we're evolving into a technology company that in our day jobs, we do distribution of hardware, yeah. uh, building materials and lumber. Yeah. You know, I think everybody's, we're beginning 2024, everyone is trying to look into the crystal ball, get a, get an idea of what 2024 is going to look like. And, and, and I would, I would contend that you and, and the way that do it best is set up are, are maybe uniquely positioned to kind of understand what's going on out of the marketplace. What are your 
your, your your members, your member owners, what are they saying? What are you hearing uh, when it comes to uh, the economy, how, how it's going now, and, and maybe what might be ahead in, in uh, 2024? So looking at what they've seen so far, well, let's look back at 2023 and then leading into 24. We got halfway through 23, and uh, the federal government through uh, the Federal Reserve Bank did a phenomenal job of really halting the economy through a series of rate increases that were the most substantial in our nation's history. Yeah. We have never had that number of rate increases in that short a period of time, and it did a, exactly what they wanted it to do. It slowed the economy. Uh, and we saw that. Our members certainly saw that. There was slower traffic in their stores, less retail transactions that they were engaged in. And that kind of really started in earnest, I would say, in the July-August timeframe, and things really cooled September, October, November. But what's interesting to me, what's interesting about it is, at least for uh, the business that we're in, it's, it, we're aided by housing and housing construction. We're also aided by repair remodel. Elements of that respond well when the economy is booming. Elements of that actually also respond well during recessionary trends. You have a lot of people that do repair remodel on their homes uh, in, in recessionary rather than replace. Um, so mm -hmm. there's, there's a little bit of noise on both sides of that is what I'm trying to say. What's interesting is uh, that housing growth really, you know, interest rates are very, very uh, keyed into that. The right. housing is very sensitive to that. So what we have seen is a, is a great slowdown, but that is starting to pick back up. And what we really expect is by the time we get to the middle point of 2024, we're going to see nationwide the economy begin to recover on the housing front. And I say that uh, because we've probably un underbuilt in this country relative to demand, rel relative to historical demand. We've underbuilt on housing for about the last eight years. So wow. take, yeah. take what we would have historically done and we just have not satisfied. That's why you've, you know, before that rate increase started, that's why you started seeing some in almost every market in this country. Uh, housing prices and availability and available inventory uh, was very, very challenged. And I, I think you'll see that pressure come back uh, because rates are stabilizing and they might even dip down a little bit. Uh, but but every every you know economist that we draw from is really targeting that middle point of 2024 as the start of some growth in that yeah. area. So yeah, yeah. You talk about challenges. I have to ask you because it, it, it just made me think of it. The pandemic and and you know because of what you do and dependence on supply chain, all those kinds of things. What was it like managing the company through uh, the organization through the pandemic? How how challenging was that for you? Extremely. In a word, it was extremely challenging. But um, you know, it started it started with uh, a concern around what happens. What what happens if uh, retail is shut down everywhere? What happens if there is uh, an outbreak in one of our distribution centers and we have to shut it down? What happens if there's two? distribution centers that have to get shut down. Yeah. All those sort of catastrophic events that you're suddenly contemplating, which you never really thought about before. Mm -hmm. So every day was a game planning session. Every day started with critical leaders in my office area as we went through what are the problems that need to be solved today. Mm -hmm. So that was the start of it. Another, to me, fascinating part of it was very early on in uh, the pandemic. This would have been in early March of 2020, 
Uh, I actually participated in a call with the White House, and there were about 19 of us on that call, CEOs of uh, large companies that had product that could be redirected into healthcare and hospital systems, cleaning agents, gloves, all those kinds of things. It, it, the, the White House was in full-blown panic mode. So if you remember Dr. Burks, remember her? Yep, and, yep. Uh, Mike, and Mike Pence was in charge of that? Yes. So, yeah. we're, so we're on a call with the Trump White House. You got Dr. Burks first, then Mike Pence, and then Trump on this call. And I'm on, I'm on this call as well. And other folks around there, CEO of Lowe, CEO of Depot, uh, CEO, Jeff Bezos was on that call. Uh -huh. wow. uh, and then there were people like me, you know, just a few other people were like much smaller companies, but still the ability to redirect a lot of product into healthcare. Fascinating time to be in. So everybody, that was the un, managing the unknown at that point, which yeah. was very, very difficult. That then over time moderated uh, into, you know, everybody kind of sheltering in place. And we saw this enormous spike in demand because people just started spending money more than they ever had before on redecorating their home, their office. Yeah. And so all this money kind of was pouring into uh, home improvement. And so we saw a tremendous increase in demand, uh, Gary, that came through that. So that was, that, was, that was kind of the wild ride that we were on for yeah. over two years. Wow. It, coming out of the pandemic, are there things you learned during that, 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 those very tough times that you know have changed the way you manage or the way you, you do business at, at Do A Best? Uh, yeah, I think there are a lot of little things that um, we, we, we changed or we modified and, and then we kind of went back to the mm -hmm. way we did it before. There's other things that we really held on to. And I think communications is one of them. Love it or hate it. You know, you and I are sitting here talking to each other on a laptop and it turns out you can do a lot of things from a remote yeah. environment. And so it's a very useful tool. I think what we found is we want to use it for the tool that it is, but not over rely on remoteness mm -hmm. because our teams are more effective when they're together. They do better work and they're better connected. And also it's just better for them. So I, I, I think we learned a lot and we've adapted in some ways, but we've, we've tried to pick up and continue to utilize what really makes sense, but not over rely on things like that. Much more with Dan Starr, the CEO at Do It Best. Uh, we'll talk, uh, get to know Dan a little bit uh, better, talk about his path to Fort Wayne, and a lot more when the Business and Beyond podcast returns. At PNC Bank, we're committed to making a difference in the lives of our customers and communities by helping them move forward financially. As a Main Street Bank, we try to do right by our customers with every encounter. Our local teams offer personalized financial advice to help guide you in making the best decision. We're proud to be part of your community. PNC Bank. See how we can make a difference for you at PNC.com. Copyright 2022, the PNC Financial Services Group Bank. All rights reserved. Welcome back to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. My guest this week is Dan Starr, CEO at Fort Wayne-based Do It Best, a, a major player, Indiana's largest privately held company, nearly $5 billion in revenues, a substantial player, uh, not only in Northeast Indiana and the state of Indiana, but around the globe, really. So uh, a major uh, entity to be sure. Dan, 
you did not grow grow up in Indiana. You're here. We, we love the fact that you uh, made Indiana your home. But where where, where was uh, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Ohio, not too far away, but but kind of a world away, Gary. Imagine the worst, ugliest steel town on the Ohio River. I can say that now because right. it's much better than it used to be. But Steubenville, Ohio, okay, sure. is where yeah. I was born and raised. Uh, so my grandfather, my father, all in the steel business. And uh, my father was the first of his generation to go to college, and he raised four kids. And uh, I went off to college myself. And I did so in the state of Indiana. So I met and married what would become my wife, and we stayed here. And it's just been a wonderful home for us and our children. Uh, a great example of the brain gain, uh, to be sure, uh, with uh, your story. Talk about growing up. What was it like? You moved. Uh, I know you and I were talking before we started the podcast. You moved to several places. What was uh, uh, the, the younger days for Dan Starlight? Yeah, I, in retrospect, I think it was very helpful for me, because I'm, I'm probably someone who could be described as naturally uh, desiring to stay put. I'm a builder. I like to kind of dig my hands in and stay put and really build something of significance. That's my, that's my natural tendency. So the fact that I was forced to move multiple times to very different environments, I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, eastern Ohio, western Pennsylvania, but then eastern Texas, Wow, it's not it's not a great thing for a Yankee to move to Eastern Texas when they're <laughs> in middle school, middle school. I'll just tell you that. And then a place like Utah, very diverse, you know, experiences. In retrospect, I would say that was very good for me because I was able to develop the ability to just connect with people from very different backgrounds and experiences. So Anderson University uh, was uh, where you uh, uh, decided on college. What what? What brought you to Anderson? How did you did you think about other places uh, for college, or what uh, what what'd you like about Anderson? Is is honesty required on this podcast? Can I ask? Absolutely, that? yeah, sure. Okay, all right. Well, then I'll be then I'll be honest. Um, I wish I could tell you that after exhaustive research, I found the greatest school for me. Instead, I will tell you that I graduated and I was a uh, not all that great a student, and my parents intervened to send me to a school where my older sister was already there. Great. Yeah. Uh, so they were looking for some maturity. And yep. uh, that that was probably the real story. Interesting. That's very yeah. interesting. And and uh, what, what did you study uh, there? I know you went on to get your law degree at IU Maurer, but what was uh, your undergrad education focused on? It was uh, economics. Okay. So I uh, really loved a professor in economics and I just really enjoyed the study. So I did become a good student about, I don't want to lie to you. I, I did become yep. a good student eventually, uh, yep. but it took, it took a while. <laughs> took a while, uh, yeah. But yeah. Yeah, but it was econ. And then when I was in law school, I tried to take as many uh, business and tax related courses as I possibly could because I always wanted to get into that sort of business and transactional side of the practice. Yeah. You said you wanted, was it was a, a CEO level, you know, type job, kind of your, your goal from the beginning? What, what were your first jobs like? No, my, my real goal was really to uh, get a job out of law school uh, at a good firm mm -hmm. and practice. And so I, I was able to get a job with uh, Barnes and Thornburg, a great Indiana firm, and uh, loved the, the practice of law. But as it turned out, not by my design, but sometimes life affords you opportunities that you just never could have seen coming, and yeah. they're just a wonderful surprise. As it turned out, one of the older partners in this law firm was a man by the name of Miles Gerberding. Now, Miles was one of those old lawyers. You, you remember the show, the, the Paper Chase, John Houseman. Yeah, he was right. that, that kind yeah. of guy. Okay. 
very intimidating, gruff, old school lawyer, but he was, he was also a very good man and a heart of gold. As it turned out, his father was the founder of HWI, which became Do It Best. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because of that connection, I ended up doing a tremendous amount of legal work for Do It Best. Uh, and as I got more and more familiar with that company and more interested and engaged with their culture, when the opportunity came and they sought me out to become general counsel and also the VP of HR, uh, I, I moved that direction. I kind of changed careers. I, I was a partner by then at, at Barnes & Thornburg. I left the practice of law to start a new career. Wow. So that's how, that's how that was a quick move, right? Right to do it best. That's right. That's yeah. Right. Wow. What, what were those early days? How, how has the company changed since uh, the day you arrived? Lots of changes, I, I know, but just in terms of size and scope and, and uh, what's different today than it was when you, when you arrived. Well, when I, when I arrived, we, it was a really interesting time. Uh, I got there in 2005, and I, 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 for a lot of your listeners, I probably don't immediately remember what was going on in 2005, 2006, but we were really going through a bit of a boom period. Yeah. That's where housing was really kind of, that was the last time housing was really out of control. And we had our very first year where we hit $3 billion in sales. That was a, a feat that, that, good news, we got to celebrate it again because we didn't see $3 billion for years after that. Uh -huh. but, uh, but I came there as, as we were hitting a peak. Uh, and then we, we got to, you know, 2008, nine. we started going into that recession. And so I got to see up close what it's like to manage a very difficult business concern during slow periods that just seemed to go on and on and on. Very difficult time. Uh, it was a good learning experience, but it was, it was a challenging economic time for all of us. So that was what it looked like at the beginning. And then as I got into my role, I, I, I'm now in my, gosh, a little over eight years as the CEO. So starting in 2016, in, in my role, it's been one of both investment and growth. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we got beyond those, those years of recession uh, and really felt like we had put off some things, critical investments that needed to take place. And you mentioned technology. That was just one, but that was a critical one. And so for, for my tenure, it's been heavy investment uh, and it's been a, a focus on growth. Uh, for us, that's been just a critical thing for our success. You seem to put a, a premium too on, on on community service. You know, you're very active. I mean, it's not unusual for CEOs to be engaged in in communities, but but you strike me as someone who who puts a a, a, a big value on that. You're very involved in the community, know the, the 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 issues and the concerns, and and are an active participant. Why why is that important to you? I, I think first off, I'd say it's important to our company. And I think that that's a legacy issue. Our second president and CEO was a man by the name of Don Wolf. And I don't know if you ever had the opportunity to meet Don, but he was just a tremendous individual. He was somebody who, who grew up in very, very poor circumstances. He lost both his parents very early. He never had the opportunity to go to college. Through sheer grit, determination, hard work, he, he, he started work at HWI and he rose from the warehouse to become the second CEO that we ever had. And he wow. held that position for more than 20 years. And he, he created a lot of the culture that we still enjoy today. And one of those is a culture of a, of a serious focus on contribution back to our community. He actually started 
the, uh, the chapter of Big Brothers Big Sisters in Northeast Indiana. It's one of the largest wow. chapters in the country serving uh, uh, children. We still tutor one-on-one -on -one kids within our headquarters as a result of that. He also started Study Connection. Uh, it's, it's just an amazing thing that he, is, that he did for us. And, and that, that I think that permeated the culture and it's really important to our company, always has been. And so we have just engagement all over, uh, top to bottom within our company and a desire to continue that. I would also say that we've, we've tried to enhance that in some ways. A few years ago, we started a foundation uh, mm -hmm. to really amp, amp up uh, our contribution to the places what, that we call home, uh, certainly our headquarters, but our, our distribution centers as well, to critical needs within the community because there's just a passion for it here. Final question for you, Dan. What's, what's next as you look uh, out uh, on the horizon, uh, maybe some focus areas for, for Do It Best, what, where, where you would like to see the organization go in the next uh, you know, five to 10 years? Yeah, I, I, our vision is to be the first and best choice uh, for independent uh, hardware stores, home centers, lumber yards in, in our industry. We want to be recognized as the first and best choice. And to fulfill that vision, I really think we have to complete some critical investments that I've referenced. And then to me, the focus is going to continue to be full throttle on growth. It, yeah. it's, it's going to continue to be, uh, we need to see uh, growth from new members that come into our uh, organization. And then we also just need to see growth in terms of how we partner with them to make them more profitable businesses and grow our revenue uh, in, in a number of ways. You mentioned e-commerce, that's another critical one, but there's probably about five different growth strategies for me that are absolutely critical. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to hit six, seven billion before I retire. I, that's my goal is I want to see that number continue to grow. Well, and as a follow-up to that, uh, that growth, uh, being in growth mode, talk about, uh, Minister, in your perspective on doing business, being able to do that, being able to grow in Indiana. How, how do you view Indiana as a state to do business in? Very favorably. I think this state has done a phenomenal job. Um, I'm glad this isn't a political conversation that we're having, mm -hmm. but you can't you can't really touch on that kind of concern without taking a relative picture of what it's like to do business. And unfortunately, you can look right across our border to the west and say, Illinois has challenges. And I can compare us and our state and the way that we go about welcoming businesses. I think our state does a phenomenal job of supporting business, doing the things that are critical for government. Of course, there's a, there's a critical role for government, uh, but not overstepping or making it punitive. And I, I just think that they lay the groundwork very well for businesses to thrive. So I'm thrilled that our company can be here and continue to grow here. And we're certainly uh, glad you're here, Dan Starr, a Buckeye by birth, but I guess a Hoosier by choice, right? You're, uh, <laughs> you're here and, uh, and we're glad Absolutely. you're here. Well, thank hey, thank, you. Yeah, thanks for taking the time and look forward to our next visit uh, when we make our way up to Fort Wayne. That would be great. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. All right. Dan Starr, the CEO at Do It Best, the Fort Wayne-based co-op, major player uh, in that industry and certainly here in the state of Indiana. And thank you for joining us on this latest episode of the Business and Beyond podcast, where a weekly conversation with achievers in business, sports, 
entertainment, and beyond. And you can download all of our episodes and get Indiana Business News 24-7. All you have to do is go to InsideIndianaBusiness.com. I'm Gary Dick. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.